Hey everyone, this is Jason Shepard, and you're listening to the Commercial Pilot Podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. What are some aeromedical items you're going to need to know for your commercial pilot checkride? Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com. Thank you so much. I'm just excited, uh, blessed, just thankful to have you listening to the podcast, taking time out of your schedule, whether you're at the gym now, you're walking the dog, you're on your commute, whatever it may be, you're taking time to learn more about aviation. That's something I'm so um, grateful for that you are working every day to make yourself a better pilot and thus make aviation a safer place. Uh, If you don't already know, uh, our number one rated online ground school, groundschoolacademy.com, if you need any help with your commercial pilot uh, online ground school prep for the written test, for the checkride, we are here and most importantly, make you a safe real world pilot. I always say you love the podcast, you love the videos on m0a.com, on the m0a.com Facebook page, m0a.com YouTube page, wherever it may be that you consume our content on the website, uh, groundschoolacademy.com is just a step up from that even. That's really our paid membership side of things to really get some great aviation content, uh, in this case, in the form of an entire commercial pilot online ground school CFI course. Um, Moments away from being done, FOI is already done, so by the time you're ready for that, uh, that'll be done for you as well. So just a lot of great things to uh, keep you living out that mantra that a good pilot is always learning. Today, I want to talk aeromedical. But I want to talk aeromedical from the mindset of what's going to be on the check ride. You all know me well enough now to know that I talk so much about, hey, this will be on your written test, this will be on your check ride, and this is just going to make you a safe real-world pilot, right? We, we kind of break things down into that. So the focus for this is going to be the check ride. Anytime there is a real-world applicable opportunity, I'll certainly bring it up, but this is really going to be geared towards that oral examination of the check ride. We're going to talk about oxygen requirements, hypoxia, carbon monoxide poisoning, and you always have to end with talking PAVE and I'm safe checklist because they're not JSON acronyms, they're FAA acronyms, and that is why you need to know them. Let's start, and let's start talking about FAA oxygen requirements. You see, this will lead us great in hypoxia and everything else. When do you need to be on oxygen? So give me the altitudes and give me the parameters. So, okay, I'm in a non-pressurized aircraft, 12,500 feet, okay, VFR altitude, right? 12,500 feet. If I'm there for 30 minutes or more, how they define it? The required crew must be on oxygen if they're for more than 30 minutes. Here's some real world stuff. Controllers know this rule, and they're not going to play around with you flying at 12.5 and then asking for lower in 29 minutes and hanging out down there for a few minutes and then climbing back up and asking for higher again. They're not, they know, and people have played that game as silly as it sounds. Um, to, you're, you're not fooling anybody because they know, but what you're doing is endangering yourself, right, um, because of the possibilities of hypoxia, which we'll talk about in a moment. So 12.5. 14,000 feet, you must, required crew must be, no exceptions. The moment you cross 14,000 feet, required crew must be on oxygen. 15,000 feet, 
you're still on oxygen, you're now required to offer it to your passengers. What does that mean? Let's, let's really play this out here. And I, I don't imagine this would happen. I would hope this wouldn't happen, but legally I, this could happen. It says you're required to offer it. Your passengers are not required to take it. If they want to get hypoxic and pass out, well, that's their deal, right? <laughs> bad idea on their part, but uh, they're going to wake up feeling real bad. But they could if they wanted to. Let's say you landed. The FAA was watching. There's some, some guys doing ramp checks at the airport that you're landing at. They've been watching you. They saw your flight plan at 15,000 feet on over. They land. They peek in the airplane. They see it's a four-place airplane, a, a, a turbo 182RG. And they look and they see a two-place oxygen system with two cannulas, but they see four people get out of the airplane. And they say to you, well, listen, I appreciate that you and your co-pilot were on oxygen here, but what about the two people in the back seat? Aren't you required to offer them oxygen? But you couldn't offer them oxygen because you only had a two-place oxygen tank system. Right, the regulator, and literally it's a regulator switch. I have a, a four-place one. It's actually sitting in my office here right now. Uh, a four-place system just so you always have it. Little things like that. Now, that's oxygen requirements, 12, 5, 14, 15,000. What about oxygen recommendations? Not a requirement, recommendation. When does the FAA recommend you to be on oxygen at night? 5,000 feet and above at night. Why? It's not... It's still 12, 5, 14, 15,000 at night. It's just a recommendation that 5,000 and above, you're on oxygen at night. Why? Your eyes work much harder to see. In fact, your eyes at night to help you see release a chemical from the rod of your eye called rhodopsin. You use your rods to see at night, is using, and the rods are located in the periphery of your eye. It requires, your, your eyes require more oxygen to release that rhodopsin, to use the rods, the periphery of your eye, to focus at night. And there's been studies that have shown that hypoxia symptoms, such as tunnel vision, blurred vision, can come in much faster than previously thought because you're requiring more oxygen of the eyes. So if you know your hypoxia symptoms and one of them is first tunnel vision or even if the second one, my second one is tunnel vision, it would benefit you greatly to be on oxygen at these high-ish, 5,000 feet, you know, high-ish type altitudes when operating at night. Good little recommendation, right? What about hypoxia itself? What we, We've been talking about oxygen. We're on oxygen to avoid hypoxia because hypoxia, most simply put, is a lack of or a deficiency of oxygen to the vital organs, in this case, our brain. At night, it could be the eyes, whatever it really may be that's causing these symptoms for you, right? Maybe it's Euphoria, that's a, a brain thing, right? Maybe it's tunnel vision, causing it by the eyes, these, these different sensations to actually happen. Now, running through, there are four types of hypoxia. The first is hypoxic hypoxia, easy to remember, right? And that is simply that onset with altitude. 
I don't, my body is fully capable of absorbing and putting that oxygen to good use. The oxygen is just not there. It's not there for me to consume and use. Next is hypemic hypoxia. We think of hypemic, think of anemic. What is anemia in, in its most basic form is an inability of the red blood cells to transport that oxygen. So with hypemic hypoxia, the oxygen may be there, yet something in your body is not allowing that oxygen to be then transported to the vital organs. We then get into stagnant hypoxia. Think of a stagnant pond. Nothing is moving. Maybe the blood is pooling. This is why airshow pilots, military pilots wear G-suits to keep blood from pooling in their legs because you don't want to send all this oxygenated blood down to the legs and it becomes stagnant, right? It needs to go to the vital organs, the brain, the eyes, everything else that's helping us operate this aircraft. Stagnant hypoxia can be caused by G-loading. Stagnant hypoxia, you're sitting in an airplane. It's, it's, if you've ever done a long international flight in an airliner, you know, a lot of people wear compression socks because the, their feet swell because the blood pools, right? Stagnant hypoxia. And lastly is histo toxic hypoxia. With histotoxic hypoxia, the oxygen is there, yet it's unable to attach itself to the red blood cells because something else is attached, something else such as alcohol. It's the reason we have a blood alcohol content. The alcohol is attached to the red blood cells, not allowing any more oxygen to attach to it. And that's, and again, now we're getting into eight hours bottle throttle type stuff, but just giving you an example of histotoxic hypoxia. You're at the commercial pilot level, you're going to need to know the four types of hypoxia. And then you're going to need to know the remedy. The remedy is either get yourself or, or your passengers on oxygen, or you need to be requesting um, a lower altitude ASAP and, and make sure they know the severity of it. I have a passenger. I believe he or she is becoming hypoxic. Uh, request a descent immediately and hustle your way on down there without you know busting any V speeds or anything like that. What about kind of in the same vein now, carbon monoxide. What do you need to know about carbon monoxide? You first need to understand, yes, it is colorless, it is odorless. Carbon monoxide is called the silent killer. When might we be more susceptible to carbon monoxide poisoning? Carbon monoxide, a byproduct of exhaust, right? This is why they always say, if you're gonna start your car and warm it up in the morning, open up the garage as well. So you don't become, you know, experience carbon monoxide poisoning by that exhaust just, you know, circling, literally just maintaining, staying in that garage, has to have some airflow. Carbon monoxide poison, maybe a leak in the exhaust, the exhaust manifold. How does cabin heat work? Cabin heat is simply just unfiltered air coming in over, being warmed over the exhaust manifold and then shot into the cabin, which is a contained space. If you have a leak in that exhaust manifold, right where the air flows over uh, to be warmed by it, and your carbon monoxide's coming in, you would never even know. This is why it's so important to have a carbon monoxide detector. You can have just a, a, a basic one, what's the color changing when it senses carbon monoxide in the air, it changes colors to the danger zone. You could have an electronic one if you really wanna be fancy, but it's important 
uh, to have some sort of detection system when it comes to carbon monoxide poisoning. And lastly, talking aeromedical, you, you would be doing yourself a disservice to not bring up PAVE and I'm safe. PAVE checklist and the I'm safe checklist. These are not JSON acronyms. These are FAA acronyms. PAVE, the P is for pilot. How are you the pilot? Could you, the pilot, pass an I'm safe checklist? I believe we all know what the I'm safe checklist is, so I'll save that one for last and go through it quickly here. Could you, the pilot, pass an I'm safe checklist right now? How are you the pilot in this A airplane? P-A-V-E, the A is for airplane. How are you the pilot in this airplane? Are you current in this airplane? You could call me up and say, man, Jason, listen, I just got this SR-22. I really want to take you flying in it, man. Let's go. And I'm going to look at you and say, well, I, the pilot, am a, a very much I'm current and proficient, but not current or proficient in a SR-22. I couldn't tell you the last time I flew an SR-22. Maybe you have 10, 15 hours in an SR-22 out of my nearly 10,000. It's not a lot, right? Very, very small, small percentage. So it's going to have to be a clear and 10 beautiful day for me to get up in that airplane uh, and make that happen and, and learn more about that aircraft. But beyond that, how is the airplane itself? Is the airplane airworthy? Have we met all our airworthiness standards, our airworthiness directives? Do we have all our proper paperwork for this aircraft? The V in PAVE, we steal the V from the word environment. How are you the pilot in this environment? Is this the airport you always fly out of or are you out of town flying out of different airspace? That's different. How is the environment from a weather standpoint as well? Does it meet? your personal minimums, or does it exceed your personal minimums? Lastly in PAVE is the E, external pressures. And this idea of external pressures is the entire reason I started the Commercial Pilot Podcast. Because there is no greater pressure than when you fly an airplane for money, it's the 30th of the month, and the rent is due. And you only make money when that propeller's spinning, when that engine's cranked, when whatever it may be. And we make, as pilots, some stupid decisions when we elect to go flying because we're flying for dollars. You see, I live to fly. I don't fly to live. And when you put it that way, aviation never becomes a job for you. It, it shouldn't be. And I've been there. I've been complacent. I just shared a story not on, on the episode 18 of the private pilot podcast about becoming complacent. One of my first jobs as traffic pilot, and I'm very thankful um, that uh, there, was an, there was an engine failure on takeoff and I wasn't flying that day. Uh, the gentleman was A-OK because he wasn't a complacent pilot. And I was a two-year of doing the same thing over and over and over, four hours a day, uh, four hours of prop running time a day, complacent pilot. And I'll share that story probably with you guys in the future. You can go grab a little bit of it if you listen to the Private Pod podcast, episode 18. But the external pressure of flying for money is so real um, and makes it very, very difficult, especially when you have passengers. Your boss that says, listen, I need to get home. I have such an important meeting on Monday. You have to get me there. And you're looking at the tafts. You're looking at the METARs going, there is no chance. I, would, I wouldn't go flying this if you paid me. And he is paying you. And he's threatening to take your job away if you don't get him back there in time. 
But, you know, you wouldn't have a job if you ended up passing away in an accident. You wouldn't have a job if you ended up even surviving the accident uh, that you're about to partake on by making a stupid decision. Do you follow me? Live to fly another day with that. Pave checklist. It's an FAA acronym, but it's one of my favorites. Then, of course, the I'm safe checklist, illness, medication, uh, stress, alcohol fatigue, they call the E emotion. I call the E, have I eaten anything? I don't want to be feeling hypoglycemic or anything like that, right? Can I pass that I'm safe checklist? You've been hearing that one since hour number one of your private pot days. So that's nothing new to you. But listen, aeromedical factors. Hopefully you got some great check ride tips. Hopefully, and most importantly, you got some great real world flying tips. Because that's what we're after, to make you safe real world pilots. So listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember, that a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. See ya.